0: There are more than 50,000 Guatemalan adoptees living all over the world, but it's not often we find ourselves in the same room. Until one weekend in March 2022, on a Saturday morning at 8 a.m., I was just barely awake, but I was getting ready to walk into just that.
1: Fifth floor, going down. Okay, have fun. We'll see you
0: That's me and one of my producers, India Whitkin. India and I traveled to an annual meetup of Guatemalan adoptees. It was organized by this group called Adoptees with Guatemalan Roots. They started doing these meetups in 2019. And I'd always been pretty ambivalent about going into something like this, which is why I hadn't been before. Okay, I think I found it. I'm about to walk in. The adoptees in the room were from all different parts of Guatemala. I believe the youngest was 17 and the oldest was in their 40s. There are people from all over, just outside D.C. to folks from Kentucky, North Carolina, and Canada. It seemed like everyone knew each other, the way they kind of broke off and chatted amongst themselves in a circle. It was pretty obvious it was my first time. Everyone else was wearing t-shirts and jeans, and me? I wore a fucking suit. Adoptees with Guatemalan Roots was founded by five Guatemalan adoptees from the U.S. just three years ago. As one of a handful of organizations built by and for adoptees, they've helped adoptees access documents like birth certificates or find their birth families. They even met with the president of Guatemala to ask for citizenship for adoptees and got him to approve it but their biggest and most ambitious goal is to create a community of Guatemalan adoptees in the US. A place where we can hear and share our stories and form connections. I had this feeling that it would be very kumbaya or some kind of adoptee support group and that was something I didn't feel I needed. But it also felt special and kind of nice to blend in and not really feel like an outsider for once. We wandered around Capitol Hill and the White House and saw the National Museum of the American Indian. I was proudly wearing my jacket made by indigenous Guatemalans.
2: It's really windy here. I actually can't make it I struggle to uh,
0: have my eyes open. I need a hair binder. In the evening, we went to this Asian restaurant in Arlington. Um, we're at Zen Bistro. Uh, it's- Like this Asian-style restaurant surrounded by, like, (laughs) 25 Guatemalans. We swapped stories over pad thai and spring rolls, laughing and opening up about our childhoods, birth families, and real adult lives. It felt kind of good to talk with people who have similar experiences to me. I think we're going to go party
1: later.
3: Yeah, we are.
0: My story is just one of thousands, and in DC and in my travels to Guatemala, I got to hear a few more. And I want you to hear them too. The stories of adoptees in their own words. From something else in Sony Music Entertainment, this is all relative, defining Atiko. Episode 10, Adoptee Voices. The simplest and most difficult question to answer has always been, where are you from? It's definitely an adoptee thing because in some ways we're from all over. I'm German, but I was born in Guatemala and grew up in Germany.
4: I live in Louisville, Kentucky.
0: This question of where are you from always makes us laugh. It's like, bruh. Do you want the short answer or the long answer?
3: Well, I was born in Guatemala, but I'm actually from, grew up in Quebec, and now I'm in Nova Scotia.
4: And then if they say, where are you really from, Uh, then I'll explain that I was adopted from Guatemala.
2: I've always been pretty proud to say I'm from Guatemala. It's always my fun fact that I'm adopted.
4: These people have this image in mind that I cannot be German because I don't look like a typical German. So... Over the
0: past few months, I spoke to three Guatemalan adoptees who grew up and live in three different countries. They each have really unique experiences. Okay, so first I'll say, hello, wie um, geht es dir? I'm trying to learn some German uh, before this, so let us reckon this kind of Deutsch. Probably butchered it, but. We'll see.
4: (laughs) Um, Hi, Diego. Yes, um, thank you so much for uh, having me here and uh, for even learning some phrases in German. That's Carlos Haas. I met him through Next Generation
0: Guatemala, another adoptee organization that's more than 10 years old now. Carlos is 36 years old, and he was born in Huehuetenango, Guatemala. When he was just three months old, he was adopted by a German couple from Augsburg, a small city
4: in the southern part of the country. I'm a historian and teaching contemporary history of the 19th, 20th, and 21st century at the University of Munich. Carlos is a big history buff like me, but he's made a whole
0: career of it as a professor. Growing up, he never felt an urge to find his birth family,
4: but everything changed for him in 2012. The most intense experience in this way was to meet my, my son when he was born. And I realized that in this very moment, that is my first blood relative I, I really got to know in person.
0: Becoming a parent really shifted things. When Carlos's second child was born three years later in 2015, the new father had a different kind of revelation. The
4: birth went very well and uh, my wife put our son into her arms and of course like every mother does she looked at everything like at his feet at his arms at his hands and things like that and then she mentioned something i didn't see oh look carlos he has a sixth finger on each hand which is not like 100 finger because it has no bones but it has a nail and things like that so it's really like very special and in this very moment, uh, this was the perfect proof um, that we are family. I mean, of course, this um, I, I already knew, but it, it's because I have scars on my fingers, too. And when I was a child, I never knew why. By getting to, to know him, I um, get to know something about myself, too, which before I couldn't. I had no contact, I had no knowledge about uh, my biological family, and I had no connection with my own past.
0: After the birth of his first child, Carlos wanted to learn more about the people who were biologically related to him. He got in contact with a Guatemalan agency that works with adoptees searching for the birth families. The agency told Carlos it would take years to find someone. But in May 2017, a few short months later, he received
4: an email from the agency. They told me that they found my birth mother, who has also a six-finger and both of her hands, uh, like many other family members do. But that's not the only thing, obviously, I found out. I found out that her name is Victoriana and where she's from, where she grew up and where I was born. It was really like a new information because my passport says I am born in Guatemala City but she told me, no, it's not true. It was in Huehuetenango. It's kind of far away from Guatemala City. And also like the birthday itself, it's not 28th of February um, but 22nd. These
0: Basic facts about yourself define you in some way. So when you find out they aren't true, I think it can change the way you understand yourself. In my case, I grew up my whole life thinking I was born in Santiago at But at 23, I found out I was really born in Esquintla.
4: Carlos told me why his birth
0: mother relinquished him.
4: Um, with regards to the circumstances of the adoption itself, um This was like a very difficult, but in a way, typical Guatemalan story. My mother grew up in a very rural area, very poor, and um, she uh, got to marry a guy when she was uh, 16, and they had several children. Um, But as you know, this was like the 60s, 70s, 80s, the time of the Guatemalan Civil War. So in the 80s, he, as many... uh, people from their municipio, decided to go with the Guatemalan army. And one day, he didn't come back. So that was a very difficult situation for my mother, as she was uh, alone, a widow with four children. So after um, two years, she met another uh, man who was much younger than her, 11 years younger. They were not uh, married, but they fell in love, and uh, she got pregnant, and that was me. But once again, she was very unlucky, and my father died during the pregnancy.
0: The taboo of having a child out of wedlock was an added challenge for Carlos's birth mom. The tradition is you get married, then you have children. Carlos's mom was a pregnant widow with a few kids. So she had to make a tough decision when
4: Carlos was three months old. And so she brought me to Guatemala City without telling anybody about it. And let me in the hands of an orphanage who was run by an Guatemalan lawyer who organized international adoptions, especially to Europe. And then she went back to her town and kept it as a secret uh, until the very day when uh, the NGO I mentioned contacted her for the first time. When Carlos traveled to
0: Guatemala to meet his birth family in February 2018, he had no idea what to expect or what his birth mother would say. Carlos shared a video with us that a family member had taken of their reunion. It was an early afternoon on February 15th that Carlos was told to meet the family at his biological brother's house in their hometown of Huehuetenango. As they approached the house, Carlos began to hear clapping in the distance. They saw a huge gathering, balloons were hung up, firecrackers were going off, marimba music was playing, food and drinks spread out on the tables, and about 50 people standing there and clapping for him. His mother, Victoriana, wore a long blue dress and slowly approached her son, who wore dark pants and a sweater. The two didn't spare a moment and embraced affectionately. She squeezed him tightly and he lifted her up in joy. The two didn't let go for about a minute or so. And then Carlos introduced her to her grandchildren for the very
4: first time. She was kind of relieved from keeping all this a secret, right? So just to imagine that over 33 years, she had literally no one to talk about a child she she lost, right? It made me feel very, very happy, very, kind of complete, a feeling of being very quiet, finally, right, and to find some peace. I mean, in some ways, Carlos has a story that seems complete.
0: He got the ending he never dreamed he'd have. Today, Carlos and Victoriana WhatsApp almost daily, and his family of four is now a family of dozens. Recently, his two kids applied for the Guatemalan passports at the Guatemalan embassy in Berlin. And now, they're recognized as dual citizens of Germany and Guatemala. We'll be right back.
1: When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. And if you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. It streamlines your processes to make your business more efficient,
3: Hear the amazing story of one of the originators of the modern-day conspiracy theory. From Magnificent Noise and Sony Music Entertainment, this is Cover Up, The Conspiracy Tapes. And then we do have four, uh, four rooms here at El Amor. So this is our boys' room. We have a girls' room, and then we have a toddler, and then a baby room. That's it's Kalia
0: Gibo, who we heard in Episode 8. We met her at El Amor de Patricia a children's home in San Lucas, Guatemala. Kalia was crouching down to play with the babies and toddlers. She's the Guatemalan director of El Amor. And interestingly, Kalia is a Guatemalan adoptee herself. She wasn't at the meetup in DC, but my mom Lori and I met her on our last trip to Guatemala. Kalia was adopted when she was just five months old. She was raised in Quebec, Canada, and she lives and works in Guatemala now. But there was a time she didn't even know Spanish. When Kalia was a child, her adoptive mom was curious about Kalia's birth family. But as a kid, Kalia didn't feel the same way. And she still has mixed feelings about meeting them.
3: I actually don't know my birth family. And it has been something, again, that not for lack of my parents' interest, I almost think they might have more interest at this point than I do. I think part of it is fear. I am 31 and I know that um, many things can happen, you know, I don't know how I would feel if I was to find out my birth mother has passed away, I don't know how I would feel if I find out she hadn't passed away and I have a lot of siblings, I don't know how I would feel about the responsibility of, um, I know I don't have to care for them but I would, I know myself enough to know that I would want to. I think, for me, a question of um, my mental health and and being at peace with um, my life.
0: Kalia gave us a tour of El Amor. Yeah, so, like, from my understanding, you're working with domestic adoption, and how did you end up here?
3: I was always aware of children's homes and orphanages, and I visited many, and some of them are very institutional. And I remember walking through the doors here at El and instantly feeling the joy, the family setting, the love, that, like, togetherness.
0: She guided us through the school, greeting teachers, nannies, and children. The kids and caretakers at El they make up her Guatemalan family.
3: And I often am able to be the person who goes upstairs and holds this baby who's about to meet their forever family and walk down the stairs and introduce them to his or her family. And like I said, just that full circle kind of moment. I cry every time. <laughs> and it's just so filling, so fulfilling.
0: You know, I learned something seeing the process of adoption from Kalia's perspective. I realized that it's not just the birth mothers and children that go through the emotional trauma and heartache, it's everyone who cares for them. <laughs>
2: We'll be right back. When I like go to some of my workplaces, people just assume I speak Spanish. So it's like very uncomfortable for me to tell them, like, no, I don't. And then I get the judgment.
0: That's Rachel Suiza. I met her at the Adoptees with Guatemalan Roots Meetup in D.C. And she's talking about an assumption I know really well.
2: Like, why don't you speak Spanish? And it's like, well, you're adopted, so like, you should speak Spanish.
0: Rachel grew up in Bethesda, Maryland. She was giddy telling me about her college acceptances. She was just a few weeks from turning 18. She was elated about her future, but there was so much Rachel didn't know about her past.
2: I came with a big burn, and my parents had like no idea like where that could have come from and I still have a scar to show for it.
0: Rachel was adopted when she was 14 months old. And like many adoptees, she's moved through life with a lot of baggage from it and struggles with why she was adopted. For as long as Rachel can remember, she's been in therapy. She's digging for those answers and unlearning certain patterns. She has found regular trauma therapy works best for her. And through it, she's been able to unlock memories. Rachel learned how she got the large, dark, thick scar on the back of her left leg as a baby.
2: They sat me on top of, like, a flattening iron or, like, a um, wrinkle iron. But When I came to the States, my legs were slightly bowed, so the doctor thinks that they left me in the crib a lot. So um, I had to, like, even for years, I, like, didn't know how to explain, like, there's a giant scar on my body, like, How do I tell people, like, oh, when I was a baby, like, I was literally sat on a hot iron. So that was really hard for me to comprehend and take in.
0: In middle school, Rachel was curious to learn about her birth family. But her adoptive family was a little cautious of how their daughter would handle it.
2: The only hesitation they have is, like, wanting to know that I'm going to be okay with answers or not having answers, and they wanna make sure that I'm gonna be in a stable place to understand all of that. Rachel's never been back to Guatemala.
0: Her parents wanna take her and her 16-year-old brother one day, but she doesn't know when the time
2: will feel right. It takes time for the searchers to find things, and sometimes what they find isn't always what you want to hear, so I don't want to, Find out something that's going to, like, stop me in my tracks so I won't be able to, like, continue the rest of, like, my education and career in life.
0: Rachel grew up in a diverse part of Maryland with a sibling who's also a Guatemalan adoptee, so she never felt alone in that sense. But when she was 13 and went to high school, things started to feel different.
2: I go to a predominantly white high school, and I'm, like, one of, like, the fewer minority kids. And then when I got there, I just kind of felt like oh, like, I don't look like everyone, and then, I don't know, then I started to question, like, who am I? Like, why don't I look like everyone? Like, what can I do to look like everyone? And, like, I even contemplated, like, dyeing my hair to look like everyone around me.
0: I mean, in a way, I relate to this. I grew up around a lot of white kids playing hockey, and I was always the only person of color on the team. I loved the sport and wanted to fit in, but everyone kept reminding me that I didn't. Something that made Rachel feel especially different was her scar. This physical marker of trauma on her body was a clear sign that there was more to unpack and a lot of inner work to do. And it wasn't just the physical marks that became more noticeable, it was the emotional scars of being adopted as well.
2: As I got older, in my relationships, I noticed there was like a pattern of me feeling like really disconnected. So when I went to treatment, we dove into attachment and um, attachment disorders. And I learned that when you are separated from your birth mom, that impacts a lot of your other relationships. Like, I know my parents have so much love for me and my extended family, too. But still, like, when I see them, I just feel like I need to put up a wall. I just feel really... Disconnected, and like I want to like reciprocate all of that like emotion, but I there's just still like some sort of blockage in me and like in my heart. I feel the same way sometimes.
0: I often put a wall up to people I meet and even the loved ones. The amount of trauma we've experienced as adoptees makes trusting people and building relationships more difficult. There's just something about adoption that makes the feeling of belonging. A hard thing to find. Rachel had never been to an adoptee meetup before. I could see how much it meant to her.
2: I feel like it, it is a family, and it's not just like a bunch of like people f- that are adopted from Guatemala coming together. Like I feel like this is like the spirituality and like the emotion of like having a family and having a support group. This is the moment where I felt very connected to everyone.
0: Just being in a room full of people with questions, problems, and stories like mine was something I'd never experienced. And to my surprise, I really liked it. When I arrived in DC, I didn't have the highest expectations for the meetup. I didn't feel like I needed this community the same way others did. The reality is that a lot of them are just starting their journeys, understanding their place in the world as an adoptee, searching and connecting with their birth families and learning how to balance those relationships. I did those things when I was a kid. But I realized that I was wrong to dismiss it so quickly. The more I sat and listened, the more I realized how traumatic adoption can be. Adoption to me had lived in the shadows of all my health issues. I'd never gone through the pain of not knowing my birth family or wondering where I came from. I can hit rewind and fast forward on my entire childhood. As weird as that is, it's also a privilege. So the meetup was sort of illuminating for me in a lot of ways and humbling. And as much as I hate to admit it, I had a lot of fun. <laughs> These questions, where are you from? Who are you? When you're an adoptee, they're never easy to answer. Growing up, I would say, well, I am from Guatemala, but I'm adopted. Like, I would always stipulate and feel this need to explain myself. I don't always want to explain. I can be American and Guatemala. I realized that my experience, you know, Growing up doing all these documentaries, radio shows, and podcasts, I couldn't avoid it or not talk about adoption. And because of that, I feel a bit like an expert. I think I can be a resource for other people dealing with these issues and their traumas. I want adoptees out there to know our stories matter. They're important even if they don't have that sweet unification story or the resolution we'd imagined. For a long time, we've had our stories written by other people. And now, it's time to write our own. Signing off as the watermelon.
3: And listening
0: to NPR News. Live in Washington, I'm Jack Spear.
3: I think you're going to have a long career in radio.
0: All Relative, Defining Diego is a production of Something Else in Sony Music Entertainment. It's hosted by me, Diego Shikai-Luke. This episode was written and produced by India Witkin. Senior producer is Mia Warren. Associate producer is Kyra Asabe Bonsu. Executive producers are Lizzie Jacobs, Jude Kampfner, and Tom Koenig. Lizzie Jacobs was our editor. Production management help from Ike Igbitola and Lily Hamley. This episode was engineered by Sam Baer. Our theme song was composed by Gautham Shrikashan. Our adoptee consultant is Eric Mon. Thanks to my mom, Lori Stern, for help on this episode. And special thanks to my dad, Dan Luke, Gemma Givens, and Ben Fawson. To all the Guatemalan adoptees who shared their inspiring stories with us, we thank you from the bottom of our heart. If you love the show, follow us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Amazon Music, Stitcher, or wherever you get your podcasts.